A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, University of Oxford, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company. In each episode, we'll have a frank discussion with industry experts to help brands and business leaders navigate the changing landscape of marketing and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way. I'm Jane Osler, Global Head of Media, Insights Division of Cantor. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the Said Business School. Our guest today is Nick North, who's Director of Audiences at the BBC, and he is responsible for making sure that audiences are at the heart of all BBC decision-making. So welcome, Nick. Thank you. Nick, welcome. Uh, what does that mean, being at the heart of decision-making? I think it's really important for the BBC to ensure that it is delivering enough value to every licence fee payer. That is what we're there for. And we deliver our public purposes to inform and educate and entertain and bring the country together. And so, therefore, for us to be able to assess uh, how well we're doing that and to ensure that we are delivering enough value to every licence fee uh, household is, is a, a vital part of strategic decision-making at the BBC. And, and that then feeds into every strategic and tactical decision, be it commissioning decisions, scheduling decisions, new product development, uh, down to uh, improving the, the headlines of a story that we feel is important for people to read. Okay, so let's, let's break that down a bit. So, you know, the, the theme of this uh, episode is really, you know, what does the BBC know about me and, and how are you using the data? So, so let's get into uh, sort of the, the finer details of that. So what sorts of data does the BBC have on its audiences? Or right. does it like to collect and how is that getting used? So the BBC has a long history, as you may know, of collecting information about its audience. Um, the department that I am now responsible for was set up in 1936. Um, the, lis the listener research right. department, as it was then, so a little bit more simple in its scope. But since that time, the BBC has recognised that it's important to understand how many people are listening, how many people are watching, but not only that, and right from the beginning, um, there was a focus on the quality of the experience. So it was, there was an understanding of how much people were enjoying the programme, how informative it was, and that was an integral part of the measurement of the audience because there was a recognition right from the beginning in terms of, you know, if you're going to deliver these public purposes, you have to understand if... Uh, it's not just about bums on seats, it's about uh, inspiring people, helping people uh, learn something new, 
learning more about the world around them, feeling more connected with their community and so on. And those were the, the values that were instilled in the, in the organisation from the start. And those are what we've tried to measure ever since. So ever since the beginning, near the beginning, we've known pretty well about patterns of behaviour. Over the last few years, as you know, things have changed dramatically. And so therefore, we're not only continuing to invest in the industry contracts that are run in the UK, uh, Rajar, for example, or Barb, that I mean, Cantor obviously plays a key part in that, but also we're now seeing uh, a great deal of new data coming in from our own services. So uh, iPlayer, for example, you now have to sign into iPlayer um, and we collect a certain amount of information from you. And then we then know what you've watched on iPlayer. And we're then able to use that, not for any purpose, but to give you a better BBC. There is no other value to it than to enhance your own personal experience of the product and services that we're able to offer. So therefore, to answer your question in more detail, we now have 32 million people, or more, I think, signed into the BBC. Of those, about 10, 11 million come to us every week. So we have information about your behaviour um, across different services, and we're encouraging people to sign in, uh, not only on iPlayer and iPlayer Radio, but also through other services as well. And so we'll be able to join up your passions and interests that you've shown us through your viewing choices, with your listening choices, with the news stories that you've chosen to watch, or the football teams that you support, whatever it might be, and build a fuller picture of you so that we can then, wherever you're coming to us, we can offer you a better experience. So we have your age, your claimed age, your, <laughs> your gender, your postcode, and then we have the behavioural data that you've shared with us. You can see exactly what we know about you because you can, through the website, and we've tried very hard to be as clear and um, transparent about what we do with the data, what data we collect, and you can also download that data. You can see what data we hold about you. And I've, I did this on um, you know, May the 25th when GDPR came along. I thought, right, I'm getting in there. Um, and you can see the, all, the ch all the viewing choices that I've made, all the, all the websites that I visited when I was in assigned in state. We now need to think about well, what can you do with that data? I mean, that's great, data access, good. But how can, we, how can we help you make use of that data yourself? And that's, I think, the, the next stage of this journey that we're on. So just to dive a little bit more into different types of audiences, we've mm. done some research fairly recently on uh, Generation Z and Generation Z and what they think about various things, different media um, channels, different um, advertising formats, yeah. that kind of thing. And they do seem to be displaying different kinds of attitudes and yeah. behaviours from older people, yeah. we think. One of the things that this might impact, I would imagine, is the kind of formats, the kind of programming you might put yes. out or commission on BBC Three, yes. for example. So yeah. can you just talk a little bit about that? What what does that what does the data you collect tell you about younger people and yeah, sure. what does that make you do differently? Yeah, sure. And that's a really important audience for us. I think what we see in the data that we collect, be it from industry currencies, uh, our own tracking studies, um, our new cross-media measurement study ourselves that, that allows us to see uh, and understand the audience better everywhere, 
we're seeing a very consistent pattern of younger audiences showing really quite different emergent behaviours to their parents and grandparents. So um, very significantly lower levels of linear television. And I'm sure all the, 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 the research that you've done backs this up. I mean, their, their, their expectation is for a world of uh, effortless discovery of content on demand, you know, and this is familiar territory, I think, wherever and whenever they want it. The other important dimension to that, I think, is the social one. We think about social media through a number of different lenses of, you know, it's a great way to promote some content. So you'll see some BBC Three comedies, for example, where, you know, little clips of the, of the programme are available on Instagram. That builds the brand, maintains the brand, drives people back, I hope, to iPlayer, uh, where they might want to watch uh, the series and so on. So it acts very effectively as a promotional platform, but it also engages people, you know, at a thing in itself um, with, with you know, digitally native content appropriate to, be it Snap, Instagram, uh, YouTube, whatever it might be. And then it is a means, therefore, of sort of distributing content as well, short-form content that, that at the moment perhaps doesn't naturally fit uh, within the BBC digital portfolio. So it plays lots of different purposes, but it's a key part of younger audiences' lives. I think the, the, the other thing for them is that they, you know, from the age of... 12 to 24, there are so many life changes going on and therefore their needs that they seek to be met by media, if you like, are changing a lot. Um, they're trying to define themselves. They're defining themselves within their peer group. So they want to make sure that they're not missing out on anything. So again, how can we make sure that the content that we provide meets a number of those different needs, be they quite sort of informational learning needs, and we do that very well with Bite Size, but what other needs do they want? And sometimes they just want to chill out. Sometimes they want something on the television that they can relax to while using social media. And social media is the first screen, and, and they just want something in the background that is known and loved. Um, and that's why you know, US long-running series play so well, because they are kind of like the lager of television. They're sort of kegged, <laughs> and, and you can understand what they are, and they're consistently good. Um, so, that, you know, there's all these different things and you have to think how do we fit in to that understanding that obviously a lot of these uh, people are in bigger households with parents interacting with parents and therefore sometimes those big events that bring the whole family around the television are highly valued both by child and adult alike because it brings the family together and it's less about what's on the screen but more about that shared experience and those things are really important to younger audiences and we and we know that it is those big events that drive people back to traditional linear television and we've seen you know, most recently with Bodyguard, for example, as a drama, which has got, you know, is the, probably the biggest drama on iPlayer ever, I think. I mean, that, that, that is attracting huge audiences. So there's, it, it is not a case of moving entirely away from linear services, but it is definitely the case that overall you see really significant drops in both television and also in, in, in traditional radio listening. So again, thinking about how we transform our radio services to meet the needs of younger audiences who expect on-demand services. This is the challenge that we're facing at the moment, like many other brands, I think. A few years ago, um, I was involved in the digital switchover of television, so I worked on that for quite a few years. At that time, it was all about the channels, and the channels were predominant in the, in the marketing yeah. with commercial broadcasters and, and with the BBC. 
But now I think we see a shift towards, you know, the sort of more of the programmes and mm -hmm. the personalities. Is that mm -hmm. because the channel itself is becoming less important? Or is it is it because now, given that we have a, a choice, we can all look at iPlayer or any yeah. other online streaming service, yeah. that actually it's the programme that needs to have a big, bigger brand identity? Yeah. Is that... Is that how it works? I think I think there's certainly some truth in that, but there's also a lot of truth in the power of a channel brand still. It's not, you know, by chance that, that ITV, um, the portfolio of channels, you know, is, is performing really well because younger audiences are turning to ITV2 for Love Island and they're finding an environment in which it feels younger, it feels like a channel for them, and it's a great show. So... Uh, Channels can attract huge audiences. That said, when you're moving towards a world where on-demand is the default and therefore uh, seeking out the programme that your friends have been talking about uh, or that you've read about, you've seen promoted either you know, on social media or outdoor or wherever it might be, you, know, it, you are being driven towards programmes and we need to make sure that every front door to the BBC allows for that effortless discovery. Um, and therefore, that's why you know, the, the, the data-powered experiences become all the more important to help people find the content that they want to watch. And I guess, is there another front door, to use your um, metaphor, which is the presenters or mm -hmm. the personalities themselves, so that people might follow, you know, a certain, like a certain newsreader yeah. or a radio presenter or yeah. whatever it is. So yeah. is, do you do presumably lots of research or, uh, yes. around that as well? Yeah, and you can see mm. um, from the research, I mean, radio is a good example that you mentioned there. I mean, obviously, uh, recent news of Chris Evans stepping down from Radio 2. That slot commands a huge audience and Chris Evans has got to be, you know, a major contributory factor to its success just as every DJ, you know, plays their role in delivering uh, that strong kind of relationship that they build up with their audiences over time. And that's so important, that sort of habitual media like radio. So the, the presenter is incredibly important. So understanding and, and, and measuring the, the audience reaction to the presenter, to the talent be it fronting up a documentary or you know, a, a new DJ, that's really a, a, a really important question and, and, and really important to get right. That said, radio is a habitual medium, so what we see when we, when we look at the appreciation numbers of a presenter who's perhaps standing in while someone's on holiday, often you see the scores go down, and that's just because it's an unfamiliar voice. And that unfamiliarity can quickly become a much more familiar voice and therefore you know, you, you, people don't like change on the radio, so you also need to take that into account when you're making decisions. Things move quite slowly and people build up relationships over time. But, um, but yes, a talent is incredibly important and attracting the right talent to the BBC you know, is, is as challenging, if not more challenging now. Fortunately, that's outside of my reach. <laughs> so when we think about the use of data, and, and essentially you've spoken about um, essentially creating a, a really great personalised um, experience for the audience. So yeah. it's it's more relevant content, it, it sort of resonates more with them. It's just really a better experience driven by by data um, and particularly behavioral data through things like iPlayer. Yeah. Where's this headed? So so you know if that's at the, the cutting edge now, what's the cutting edge, you know, 
a year from now, two years from now, in terms of how we think about audience measurement and new ways, perhaps, of measuring mm. audiences. But then, you know, what, where, where's the sort of the frontier here? Yeah, great question, I think. I think I would frame that in... Uh, obviously, there is a need for the BBC to understand its audience better and better so that we can ensure that everything that we do is to deliver a better BBC for you. But there is also another dimension to this, which is what's in it for you? you know, the licence fee payers effectively, can, you know, they pay for the BBC. So what, what is in it for, for the licence fee payer? And I think the relationship between an organisation and its users is normally one where the organisation owns all the data and the users are the product. Uh, and so I think think about our role as a public service within that space is also really important. So I'd answer that question in two ways. For us, understanding the audience everywhere is, if you like, a kind of a, a, a guiding principle. So if I can understand you when you're on iPlayer, that's great. I kind of understand you. I know how old you are and I know what gender you are and I know where you live. Do I really understand much more about you than that? It would be great to know a bit more. So how can we open up and enrich our profile of you? And again, in order that we'll provide you with a better BBC. So enriching the data that we know about you. How could we do that in different ways? Now, it's all very well us understanding what you're doing on iPlayer, but what are you doing elsewhere? What are you doing when you're on uh, Netflix? What are you doing when you're on when you're on the ITV hub or, or on Spotify? If we could understand what you were doing there, then again, we'd understand you better. And again, we'd be able to provide you potentially with content that tapped into your interests and passions that you had displayed elsewhere. So can we bring more data together in order to provide you with a better BBC? And ultimately, I think that leads to a place where you, the citizen, start to take greater control of how you bring these different data sets together and start to think about, you know, emerging new services that may be quite different from any of these particular content providers or service providers that actually uh, help you make better decisions, get better deals, uh, learn more about yourself, about your community, connect with other people in different ways. And I think that's the journey, and I don't think that's one year or two years, I think that's more like five years, but that, I think, is the, the, the direction of travel for us and, uh, and, and I think perhaps for, for data owners everywhere. Mm -hmm. Is there a move for broadcasters to cooperate more broadly, given what you're just saying about mm. data and providing a better service overall to, to viewers or listeners. Yeah. Is, is there a, a model that you're starting to think about now, which is about cooperating more broadly? There are a number of different initiatives, mm. definitely, and, and, and some of those are beyond my remit within the different organisations. But something that we've done um, with colleagues in other public service media is, uh, and indeed in, in news media as well, is, is get together on a regular basis and explore where potentially there are opportunities. Under GDPR, you, the individual, have the right of portability of your data. You can take your data if given by consent to another provider. And that's obviously primarily designed for something like a utility or something. But what if you could take your BBC data and take it to ITV? What could you there, how, how would that enhance your experience uh, on, on ITV, for example? And so 
exploring those sorts of opportunities, and it really is an exploration. There is, there is little more than that at the moment. But I think that that, along with other thoughts around perhaps, you know, wouldn't it be easier if we could sign into these different services uh, with the same login? You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't take too long to come up with a number of uh, ways that it might actually make life a little bit easier for all of us if dot, dot, dot. Mm. And so I think there's, there's, there's certainly an appetite and uh, a level of engagement with exploring these ideas. What will come of them? Time will tell. So from the BBC's perspective, in terms of what you're learning about how to use data, you know, perhaps even in real time to sort of fuel decision making, how could we generalize or extrapolate that to other industries? So for other marketers in, in other types of businesses out there mm. who are listening, uh, what might some, some good principles be? Yeah, I think we are learning what those principles are as we uh, work through the implementation of the, um, the personalization program, as we work through the impact that data is having on every part of the BBC. And so I think that the takeaway for others is probably one of kind of emerging best structure and a cultural change challenge too. So the emerging best structure, I mean, this has been one which has been really interesting for us because you know, audience data, the kind of data that I, I've talked about, you know, the, 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 the listening data, the industry measurement data and so on, that was really the preserve of the audience's team, the insight team, the research team, the measurement team. And that then translated into insight, which translated into, into decisions uh, that would be uh, informing the future direction of the organisation. I think what's changed is that data is now powering the product experience. So you are now um, experiencing the iPlayer that we talked about before uh, in a different way to me because of your previous viewing history. And so therefore, it's actually shaping the product experience. That means, well, where does the data ownership sit? Who owns this data? Because this data is not only powering insight, but it's powering a product. And where's the governance of that data? How are we sure that's the best data it can be? And how secure is that data? That opens up a lot of different questions. It also brings together technology, data engineering, data management, data governance, security, traditional research skills, all in the mix. And how do we then configure ourselves to optimize to the future and make sure that we're making every, you know, exploiting the data as best we can to deliver the best customer experience. So whether you're public service media or a commercial organization, whatever it might be in whatever industry, I think that 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 structural question is one that I think the right the right solution emerges over time. And I think it's very difficult to architect that right from the beginning because I think it really depends on 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 what the legacy structure of the organization is but bringing it closer to or separating it from the technology, from the engineering, from the audience research. Those are all the sort of the, the, the challenges that you're facing. Plus then there's a cultural challenge. And I think this then comes to how is the data being used in the organization? People, uh, you know, the BBC is a creative organization and it's not the only creative organization. And therefore there's a certain potential conflict between the kind of, you know, the, the, the rigor of data and the, extraordinary creative talent that produces the amazing TV shows, radio shows that we are distributing to audiences all the time. So that tension between data and creativity is another really interesting area. 
And I think finding ways of translating what we're seeing from data into creative strategy is, is an emerging practice that I think is changing the, the nature of the skills in the team that, I've, that I run, um, but also changing the way that content teams actually you know, work. Um, so one of the big initiatives for us is driving towards the amplification of insight through self-service. So making compelling visualizations, dashboards, screens around the organization so that you can see the latest news that we want to land um, in terms of how the audience behavior is changing. Those sorts of things are increasingly important in the organization. And there is a, you know, a, a strong and uh, appetite from the business to, to take that on board because we're all very clear about the challenge ahead and you know, what we need to do uh, to produce great content for you know, the next generation. You've been listening to Future Proof the marketing podcast from Said Business School and Kantar. Find more episodes and related content at uk.kantar.com or at sbs.oxford.edu. Thank you.